Good morning. If you're new to City Church, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us today. God wants to speak to you. He wants to move in your heart. And I can promise you that if you open up your heart to Christ, that you will leave changed by His grace and by His power. So I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can go to Acts 17. That's where we'll end up. If you don't, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. We've been in a teaching series called Us. Us, right? And we're looking at the distinctives of City Church. Who are we? We're trying to take seven weeks to put language around the culture of our church. And so for the last two years, I've been teaching these distinctives to our staff and to our leaders. And we really felt like in 2017, it was time to just teach them to the whole church and really put language around who are we. So the first week, we talked about being married to the message. Do you remember that? We are married to the message. And I was so excited to see so many of us volunteer as we described leadership really as serving, that the greatest among you are the servants of all. Then we talked about being contenders in week two, how our culture as a church is to contend for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we trust God's revealed will and we seek God for his fullness. And then last week we talked about being pioneers. Come on, somebody say pioneers. Pioneers, yeah, and we had a lot of fun talking about what does it mean to be a pioneer. I want to read a passage of scripture today for our fourth distinctive And it's going to start in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17, describing what the Apostle Paul did when he went to Athens. It says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign uh, divinities because... He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. Come on, everybody say Areopagus. Areopagus. That's a very rare turtle in the Galapagos Islands. So they brought him to this turtle named Areopagus. No, I'm just kidding. That's, no, it's, some of you are like, really? No, no. It's a, it's a section of Athens where they would debate new ideas, okay? And saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling stories and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Today, we're going to talk about being students of culture. We are students of culture. So if you want to write that down at the top of the page, you can. If you're taking some notes on your iPhone or iPad or some other electronic device or with a physical piece of paper and a pen, whatever so fits your need, I just encourage you to write down at the top, we are students of culture. Would you pray with me today? God in heaven, we open up our hearts to you. Right now, as we read the Bible and pause from all of our daily activities and all the chaos of our lives, we say that in this moment, we need you. We welcome your presence and we surrender. Would you open up our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you be the ruler among us and lead us into life and truth? In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. Are you a student of culture? Do you like to watch the Oscars? Let me see your hand. If, no condemnation if you did or didn't. Let me see your hand if you watched the Oscars this year back in February. Watched God. Okay, like two of us. Okay, great. Um, so I, I don't typically watch the, the Academy Awards. And, um, 
And this year I did. My wife was, was watching it, so I got sucked in. And, and every time I do watch, it seems to me that like three or four movies seem to dominate the entire thing. Like every single nomination seems to go to like just a few movies. And this year, if you paid attention and you watched the Oscars, you know that it was like every single time they opened that envelope, it was like, and the nominees are La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight. And after a while, you're like, are there any other movies that were made in 2016 other than these? They just got it. They got nominated for everything. And I don't know if you've seen any of those films. If you have, you haven't. I don't even know what's in all of them. But I do know that it's very interesting that it seems that the movies that are winning Academy Awards these days would not be considered what we would call happy ending movies. All right. They're not exactly like everything ends up okay type of movies. Oftentimes, they seem to be movies that really embody restlessness and difficulty and tragedy and, uh, and the real brutality of the human experience. So if you saw La La Land, by the way, this sermon is like this like movie spoiler sermon. If you saw La La Land, you know that it's this great story of this love story between these two people, but at the end of the day, they don't choose each other, they choose their careers, and they end up apart. And so as I watched the film, I'm like, well, it was great until the last 10 minutes, and then everything got messed up at the end. Like, what's up with that? Like, my heart was heavy as I uh, left that movie. But, uh, you know, if you watched Manchester by the Sea, you know it's about this guy who's struggling to move on from the failures of his past. And his past is just consuming him. And he's numb, and he's broken, and he's hurting, and he can't seem to move on. And all of life is passing him by as he is stuck in his own brokenness. And it seems... That the message of many of the films of our day, especially those that are celebrated and acclaimed and win awards, is this idea that life is complicated. Life is difficult. It's full of loose ends and it often does not resolve. So deal with it. Come on, turn to the person next to you and just tell them you got to deal with it. And if we're honest, a lot of times that's exactly how life actually feels, right? If we're honest, I'm sure if you look at your story, you'll find the relationship that never happened, the job that never materialized. You'll find the difficulties that you don't even know why you had to go through and the struggles physically, maybe with an illness. And you say, I don't understand all this. There seems to be so many loose ends. I just don't know why it all happens. And so it's easy, and many people do in our society, to take an attitude of despair an attitude that says, you know what, life is tough, I don't know why, this is difficult, and you begin to have this despairing spirit within you. And I want to tell you today, if that's where you find yourself, there's only one cure, and it's not perfect health, it's not a perfect job, it is the person of Jesus Christ. That he is the cure. And when you turn to Jesus, come on church, when you turn to Jesus, what you find is a story bigger than yourself and an answer bigger than your problems. You find the person and the work of God who through his life, his death, and his resurrection, amen, proved for all time and confirmed that this is not all there is. That this life is not all there is. That whether I live long or short, whether I live healthy or sick, no matter what happens in this life, there is a life beyond beyond this life. And it's more valuable and significant and important than anything that can happen in this world. We are not just finite beings. God has written his infinite code on our souls and longs for us to have relationship with him. And as a follower of Christ, we believe that. We believe that God saved us through the blood of his son, that God rose from the dead in Christ and gives us new resurrection life. And so in our time here, on this broken planet, we establish what the Bible describes as a new community, as a family of people who believe in eternal hope. And he calls it the church, right? 
the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a structure or an organization. The church is the interwoven souls of those who believe. It is a community that extends beyond the borders of every race, every denomination. It is all those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation and have his new life pumping inside their souls. All right? And so that's the church. And we are, as the church, called to carry this message of eternal hope to a broken world. Now, the question becomes, and this is what we want to dig into today, how does the church, and more specifically, how do you, as a follower of Christ, if you say yes to Christ today, how do I interact with the world around me? How do I interact with the culture around me? Now, what I have found is that there seems to be two kind of standard answers that some of us will fall into one or the other. And answer number one is, I look out at the crazy world around me, and I see people doing this and people doing that, and I'm a Christian, and so I retreat, right? I hide. I don't watch the Academy Awards, Justin. I don't watch anything. I stay in my little cocoon. I try to only talk to Christian friends. I try to only do Christian things. I wear Christian t-shirts with Christian underwear. I have Christian hats and eat Christian food, and everything I do is insulated by Christianness, right? That's some people's response. Other people respond in the opposite way, and they say, if I'm honest, I just assimilate. I just blend in. Nobody at work knows I'm a follower of Christ. In fact, if I'm really truthful, I love the same things everybody else loves. I care more about the movie than about Jesus. I care more about the paycheck than I do about Jesus. If I'm truthful, I have embodied the same values as the culture that I live in. Now, when the Apostle Paul steps into Athens, you've got to realize that he is in the capital of culture of his day, okay? Athens was the educational center. They describe it, some historians describe Athens as all the Ivy Leagues plus Cambridge plus Oxford in one city. I mean, it was the cultural educational center of the world at the time. It was also the athletic center, okay? So this is where they held the Olympics every year. And so the Athenian people were passionate about sport. And it was, at the same time, the artistic center of the world at that time. Many great artists and painters and, and poets were coming out of Athens. And along with all this, it was the religious center. The people of Athens were deeply spiritual people. And so how does Paul, the greatest apostle in the history of the church, interact with the greatest cultural center of his day? Does he retreat? Does he assimilate? He doesn't do either. Look what he does in verse 16 and 17. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. I like that. He was bothered by their sin, okay? His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. And so it's like, oh, he hated all their sin. So he hid in his house till his friends got there. Wait a minute, that's not what it says. Is that what your translation says? So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day, I like this, with those who happen to be there. In other words, he, stick, he stuck around. He hung out. He was down at the synagogue. He was at the barbershop. He was at the marketplace. He was buying melons from this guy, talking to the librarian, hanging out. He lingers. He hangs around. In fact, Paul hangs around so much that pretty soon the people of Athens get intrigued. And they're like, who is this guy? What is he so excited about? What crazy beliefs does he have? And they become so intrigued that they invite him to do a, a first century TED talk. That's what they do. All right, so they say, you know, the TED Talks that they say, you know, a new idea, come and share it with the world. That's exactly what they did. They say, why don't you come up to the, uh, the Areopagus here and this platform and all the great philosophers and thinkers of Athens will be there. All the high educated people will be there. And why don't you tell us your new thought? They were so intrigued by his life 
And so it says in verse 22, this is what he does. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst. And that little phrase caught my attention this week as I studied the text. Standing in the midst. I wonder, in the culture in our world today, do you stand in the midst? How does a follower of Jesus live within the culture that is broken and sinful and crying out for God? The first thing you must do is you must remain available. You must remain available. Go ahead and jot that thought down. Turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm available. I know that just got awkward, right? (laughs) Oh, that just got awkward. I'm available. Remain available. See, Paul was winsome. Paul was honest. Paul was humble. But Paul was himself. And he remained available. He didn't retreat. He didn't blend in. Instead, he lived as a passionate follower of Christ right in the midst of everybody else, caring and talking and loving and speaking, not up on a soapbox throwing rocks at people, but not hiding in a cave. He remained available. That was Paul's strategy. He starts by remaining available. But look what he does next. This is unexpected. It says he's standing in the midst of the Aragopagus, and he says this, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way You are very religious. So in other words, the very first thing that Paul says in his TED Talk to the people of Athens is way to go. He compliments them. Now this is weird, right? Because if you know much about the scripture and about this time period, these were pagan people. They worshipped worshipped Athena and they worshipped Artemis and they had all these false gods. They were not worshipping Jesus. They could care less about the creator of the universe. They had their own version of spirituality. And yet, Paul finds something within their convictions that he can compliment. Do you notice that? I perceive that in every way. In other words, he's not saying you're worshiping the right God. He's not saying you're focusing on the right thing. But he is saying, wow, you have a passion and desire to worship in every sphere of life. And that is admirable. Okay, theologians call this common grace. Common grace. It's a term you should be familiar with as a follower of Jesus. Common grace simply means this. It means that God allows good things to come to people and come through people that don't follow Jesus. This is very important. God allows good things to come to people. The sun rises on the wicked and the righteous. Uh, Yeah, the wicked and the righteous both get the sunrise, right? They both get the rains to water their crops. So he says that the good of God comes to people and it also comes through people who don't know Christ. So this means, and this is revolutionary for some of us, that just because it wasn't, cre- it wasn't created by a follower of Christ doesn't mean necessarily that it's an evil or sinful thing, okay? Common grace, common grace. Now, my experience when I became a Christian as a teenager was that amongst the young people of our day, there was this attitude that said, and this is back in the early 90s, mid-90s, Cut yourself off from the culture of this world, right? Separate yourself. And the intention was good. Live holy. Don't go and get high. Don't go and sleep around. Don't go and do this and that. Live holy for God. And so it was cut off. And so I remember being in church services where they'd be like, throw out all your secular music. Get rid of all your secular, you know, da-da-da-da. You know, and it would be like, I was like, yeah. And I just threw it all away, you know. I was like, oh, I'm hardcore for God. I'm all about that, you know. And so I just got rid of anything that was culturally unclean. It's like, well, what about my sneakers? Are they culturally? I mean, I don't know if a Christian made these, you know? What about my shirt? I don't know if a Christian made my watch. Like, what, what, what if a Christian, what if it's an unholy watch? 
Like, you know, you, you start to get a little bit wacky trying to be so clean and separated from the Lord, not realizing that there is a common grace that God has put on all people. Now, this doesn't mean that everything the culture puts out is holy, okay? It doesn't mean that. Some people I actually have been motivated by a lust or by a pride or by a selfishness, but it does mean that in, in the midst of all the people of the earth, those that don't follow Christ still experience God's grace and still can have good move through them. And so you look at two people that are genuinely, honestly in love, and they have a family that loves each other. That's a common grace. They may not follow Christ, but there's a common grace of love. You look at the doctor who, who does surgery on your body. He might not be a follower of Jesus, but God has given him a unique skill to sew your flesh back together, and you better be thankful for God's common grace on his life, right? You listen to Adele sing. Come on, somebody. You listen to Adele sing, and you can't think to yourself, I think Satan gave her that voice. No, 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 no. You listen, you watch LeBron James play basketball, and it's, I think Satan gave him those, those ups. No, no, no. I think God did. I think there's a common grace that is distributed in different measure to different people. And what should the Christian do within culture when they experience common grace? Should they reject it because it's all unclean? Well, Paul doesn't. What does Paul do? He says, men of Athens, I see that you are a very religious people. He celebrates the aspect of the culture that is admirable. And so what we must do, if we're going to be followers of Christ in a culture that's far from God, first, you must remain available. Second, you must celebrate common grace. Celebrate common grace. Everybody doing okay so far? Yeah? Celebrate common grace. Come on. No, this is a little bit of a teaching. A little bit less of a preaching. I'll still kind of preach it. But, but what that means is, you know, this is practical. This is going to help you on Monday morning, all right? When you go into work and you say, let me just hide in my cubicle from all these crazy people. No, no, no. Remain available. Remain, go out to lunch with somebody. Interact with them. And then find common ground through common grace. In other words, you can enjoy that movie if it's not a movie that is, you know, wicked and drawing you away from God. You've got to set up your own boundaries with wisdom and holiness. But at the same time, there's much that actually can be celebrated so you can enjoy some art you can enjoy some music at all of our locations today we've got some art from some of the individuals that are part of our church and we're just celebrating the beauty of art today before you walk out look at some of the pictures that are in this room and just as you leave to the left or to the right some beautiful paintings photography that is just a celebration of the gifts that God gives various people and we're thankful for those things and we should be right and so celebrate a good meal, celebrate style, celebrate art, celebrate music, and do it within the limits of spiritual discernment, not something that's going to draw you away from Christ, but find the good within the culture and enjoy it. Amen? Amen? This is the, this is the call of God. Look at what it says in verse 23. It gets even cooler. He says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. Everybody say, Observed. I observe. This is interesting. Remember, Paul's giving a speech to the people of Athens. He's already remained available, and now he's celebrated common grace. But now he tells us that he is observing the objects of their worship. Now, why would he do that? The people of Athens, it was a, it was a culture full of idolatry. They had thousands of gods. They had a god for everything. They had a god for war. They had a god for peace. They had a god for fertility. They had a god for sex. They had a god for every pleasure, for everything you could think of. And Paul takes the time to walk around Athens and study. That word observe literally means he studied. He studied their idols. Why would he do this? Because Paul understood that idolatry, stay with me today, is not just one problem from a past generation. No, no, no. Idolatry, hear this, is the biggest problem of the human heart. Idolatry is the greatest challenge of your life. 
See, there's something broken inside people. That something is called sin. And you have a tendency to try to put finite things in an infinite place in your heart. You have a tendency to elevate things that are not God and cling to them as if they were God. And so for some of us, it's money. For others of us, it's pleasure. For others of us, it's happiness. For others of us, it's a relationship. But there is always something competing for your heart. And the Bible calls those things idols. They calls them idols. One writer and novelist, uh, David Foster Wallace, not a follower of Christ, he said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. This is what he says. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So your heart is structured in such a way that you're always worshiping. You might call yourself an agnostic or an atheist. Something holds the deepest root in your heart. It might be your own intellect. But something is worshipped inside of you. Now Paul understood that you can't know God until you see your own idols. And tragically in our day, people are very rarely making statues out of their idols. Instead, they're hiding in their heart. And for many of us in the room, you don't even know the idols that are trying to get a hold of your soul. You don't even know the things that are trying to compete. It might be that job that was a blessing from God that now is trying to creep into a position where it holds your heart more than God does. I wonder what idols are fighting for attention inside your heart. So Paul gives us an example or a model for how we should interact in culture. He says remain available, celebrate common grace, and then recognize idols. Recognize idols. And this can only be done with the discernment of the Holy Spirit. To recognize idols in the culture and then also to recognize idols in society and so and in your own heart as well and so Paul recognizes the idols and then he says this he says for as I pass along I observe the objects of your worship and this is what he says the second half of 23 look at it I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God what therefore you worship is unknown this I proclaim to you and so Paul finds an altar you got to imagine this okay the greatest apostle of all time walking through this pagan city of Athens the center of intellectualism and, and art and culture in his day and he's looking at all these various idols you've got the Athenian temple and you've got the Artemis temple and you've got all the temple to Zeus and, and all these various different gods people are praying to and getting little statues made and the whole process and then as he's looking and studying and pursuing trying to understand he finally gets to this altar that says to an unknown God. See, the Athenian people had thousands of gods, and yet they had this inclination within their hearts to make one more altar, an altar to the unknown God. It's as if they knew, even though we've got a God for everything we can think of, there's still something missing. There's still something lacking. There's something inside our heart that is not satisfied with all the various idols we've created. We have to make another altar to the unknown God because these idols aren't filling that void. See, there's something inside every person that knows that there's a story that's better, that knows that there's an answer that's bigger than what culture can provide. You look at our society today, right? What are the gods of our culture? Well, we could list them for a while. I would say that happiness is a god of our culture. People want happiness so bad that they'll do anything, disobey God in every way, as long as it makes us happy, right? So happiness is our god. We just want to be happy. The problem is you can't find happiness if you try to get happiness directly. Going directly to happiness actually leads to emptiness. The only way to get to happiness is through 
holiness. And so as you go through holiness, you then discover happiness as the byproduct of your holiness. And so we seek happiness in a thousand different ways, but we can't seem to find it. Some of us are seeking accomplishments more than anything else. Others of us are seeking comfort or ease or pleasure. There are various different gods in our culture, but I can tell you this. In 2017, the United States of America and the richest country in the world, there is still an ache and a long for a better answer. They long. Every human being cries for this better answer, this better solution. And so you watch the Oscars, and I noticed this, that the movies that are being celebrated are kind of those movies that are, that are tragic, that leave you with loose ends, that don't answer all the questions. But the people in the United States don't actually go to those movies. Right? It's, it's true. I mean, certainly some do. But the people are actually attracted to the movies with a happy ending. So, I don't know if you knew this. They, best picture. Best picture was taken by Moonlight, an artistic film. I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard much about it. This, this, uh, this story. And, and so that one, best picture, right? I don't know if you know this, but it wasn't the highest grossing film in 2016. In fact, as you rank the most money that was made in the film, Moonlight lands 133rd on the list. In other words, 132 movies made more money. Does anybody want to guess what the number one grossing film of 2016 was? Because God. Finding Dory. Finding Dory. Now, if you saw Finding Dory, by the way, it made 40 times more money than Moonlight. See, the, 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 uh, the great minds of our day may celebrate certain films for their artistic creativity and everything else, but the actual people, the actual people just want a happy ending, and Finding Dory was all about a fish that lost her way, and yet in the midst of her losing her way, her friends come around her, miracles happen, and the fish ends up back with her mom and dad happily ever after. It's a good ending in Finding Dory. That's what happens. The number two grossing film, if you're interested, was Star Wars Rogue One. I know we got some fans out there. Don't act like you're all holy. I know that you watch Star Wars Rogue One. And in Star Wars Rogue One, if you know the story, what happens is they go to try to recover secret plans of the Death Star. And everybody basically dies. However, they get the plans out. And so they sacrifice much, but it's for a worthy cause. And they breathe hope back into the rebel, you know, revolution. And so at the end of the movie, you're left with, it was a high sacrifice, but it was well worth it. It's a happy ending. See, deep inside... We know that there is something more. We know that there is something that brings resolve. And our hearts call to us. And it ends up in our artwork. It ends up in our movies. It ends up in our, in our, uh, in our songs. And Paul saw an altar to the unknown God. And he said, that right there represents a gap. It represents a gap between what culture can provide and what only God can provide. There's a gap right there. And you could fill it with sex. You could fill it with pleasure. You could fill it with money. You could fill it with anything. Nothing will meet the need except Jesus Christ. And so what Paul understood about culture is that you must remain available. You must experience and understand and celebrate common grace. You must recognize the idols of your day, and then you must find the gap. Not the store, right? The gap between what God has placed in our hearts and what culture can provide. That gap that gap. Go ahead and turn to somebody next to you. Tell them, we got to find the gap. Find the gap. Once you start looking for the gap in culture, you'll see that it's everywhere. 
you'll see that the gap is everywhere. You can find it in the strangest of places. You can find the gap in the raps of Kanye West, who writes a song called I Am God. And he says in the middle of that song, or I am a God, he says, I'm trying to stack these millions. I know that he's the most high, but I am a close high. I am a God. By the way, Kanye, he's not a God, right? But deep down inside, he has a longing and an aching and a desire to be valued. And so he will build himself up so that he can feel more important. You can see the gap in the writings of the band called Fun, which obviously in the writings of their music, they're trying to have fun. And yet the writer Nate Roos says this in his, in his song Carry On. He says, so I met up with some friends at the edge of the night at a bar off 75 and we talked and talked about how our parents will die, all our neighbors and wives, but I'd like to think I can cheat it all to make up for the times I've been cheated on. Nate, you can't cheat death. No one can cheat death except Christ himself, but if Christ lives in your heart, then that desire to cheat death is satisfied because you know that you'll live forever. See, it's everywhere. I remember a while ago, I heard an interview with Tom Brady. You might know who Tom Brady is, the New England uh, Patriots quarterback. Don't cheer for him, Giants fans here. <clears throat> Tom Brady is a quarterback, and he's won multiple Super Bowls. This was right after his third Super Bowl win. He said this in an interview. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, that is what it is. I mean, I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And the interview asks him, what's the answer? Brady looks at the camera. He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. See, there's a longing in his heart that Super Bowl rings can't fill. It's a longing to know the eternal. It's a longing to have peace with God. You can find it all over culture, church. You can find it in the new Denzel Washington movie, Fences, where Denzel uh, portrays an actor or portrays a guy named Troy who grows up in Pittsburgh with all types of problems and struggles. And he's married to this woman and they've got all these difficulties and eventually it comes out towards the end of the movie, like I said, I'm blowing him up, towards the end of the movie that he's been unfaithful to his wife and his wife is losing her mind realizing that her husband's been cheating on her for a long time. And she says, how could you do this to me, Troy? And he looks at her and says, Rose, and then he describes the woman that he's been cheating on her with he says this she gives me a different idea a different understanding of myself I can step out of this house and get away from the pressures and the problems and be a different man I ain't got to wonder how I'm going to pay the bills or get the roof fixed I can just be a part of myself that I've never been in other words what he says is I've been looking for a reason to live I've been looking for an escape from the pain of the day to day and I can't find it in the natural so I'm trying to find it in the arms of another person but you're never going to find it in the arms of another person because your heart's longing for the eternal it's God that you want and that unfaithful relationship's not going to satisfy it. See, you've got to find the gaps in culture because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And once Paul has identified the gap the per to the unknown God, he says, what you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, the good news of Jesus Christ at its core is not self-help. It's not how to become a better you. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, good advice. That's not what the gospel is. It's not a philosophy. At the core, the gospel is news. This has happened. I want you to hear it. Let me decree it. This has happened on the earth. And look what he says in verse 24. 
He says, the God, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he starts there and he says, the gods that you've been worshiping, the God of sex, the God of friends, the God of relationship, the God of business, they are far too small to fill your heart. He can't be stuck in some temple. Your God is too small and you know that your idols aren't working. That's what Paul says. He says, you know your idols aren't working, but he goes on to say, you can actually know God. You can actually know him. He is not far from you, but if you want to know the creator of the universe, you must turn from your idols. You must stop looking to these things to satisfy the core of your heart. You must surrender every one of them to God and then you must open your soul to Jesus Christ. That's what he says to these people right in the text. He says, let me introduce you to Jesus. And if he was with us today, he would say, Jesus is the divinity that Kanye was seeking. Jesus is the victory over death that the band Fun was longing for. Jesus is the purpose behind the Super Bowl rings that won't ever satisfy. Jesus is the faithful husband who won't cheat on you and will push through in the difficult times. Jesus is the valiant warrior who gave his life for a cause bigger than himself so that the plans of God could be pushed through and hope could be breathed back into the world. And Jesus is the brother that found you when you were lost and brought you back into the family where you belong like dory i want you to see this today church i want you to see it because this is how we interact with culture this is how we become students of culture this is how we step out of these doors and interact with a world that's far and broken from god the plot line of every culture finds resolution in Jesus. That's what Paul understood. The plot line of every culture finds resolution in Jesus. It resolves in Jesus. Every plot, every story, it resolves in Jesus. You can see it in the artwork, you can see it in the movies, you can see it in the music, you can see it in every single corner of society. There is a craving, a universal craving. And the only answer for the human heart is relationship with God through Jesus Christ by grace. That's the call for every soul. And so what does Paul do? He remains available. He celebrates common grace. He recognizes the idols. He finds the gap. And then he introduces the people to Jesus Christ. That's his plan for culture. That's how we become students of culture. So the gospel is relevant to every single sphere of society. Every single section of culture. So you're here today and you're a businessman. Maybe you started your own business. You're a CEO. Jesus speaks the, la- the, the language of a businessman. He knows all about it. He would tell you today that the debts that you owe are far too great for you to pay, that there's no amount of good deeds that you could ever do to pay off your debts. And so, in a great act of love, Jesus Christ himself paid your debt and then transferred all of the assets of his perfect life into your account so that all of the liabilities of your broken life could be transferred into his account on the cross so that before the eternal creator of the universe, you could be completely debt-free by grace. See, Jesus speaks the language of a businessman. If you're here today and you're in law, you're a lawyer or a government, some type of government official, what we find is that Jesus speaks the law, the language of government. He would say that he himself stood before the eternal judge and took the payment for the sins of the world that you owed God. And he, in that moment, before the eternal judge, paid your debt in full so that you could be fully and forever forgiven. And he could claim you not just as not guilty, but fully justified in his sight. If you're here today, 
and you are a moral person. You're trying to do good deeds and earn your way to God. Jesus would come to you and say, I can speak your language as well. Because how many good deeds can you do to ever be righteous before a perfect and holy God? How many nice things can you do? How much money could you give? How many sacrifices could you make? And you'll find that no matter how good you are, it'll never be good enough. In fact, your goodness will only lead to pride, which will then lead you away from the creator of the universe. And so if that's in fact reality and you are separated from God because of your sin, then what is the hope for your heart? It's not in your goodness, it's in his goodness that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross has completely washed away every sense of guilt you have. So you don't got to go to a confessional for some person to accept you. You don't got to take communion so that God will receive you. You are fully forever forgiven because of what Christ has already done. This is the truth. You're here today and you're an artist, you're a musician. And you say, well, what does Jesus have to say to me? You need to know he's the great storyteller who rewrote history so that grace could be injected into the human story and so that you could have true hope, true love, and true life in this life. If you're here today and you say, Justin, I'm a minority, I'm disenfranchised, I'm disconnected from society, you don't need to know Jesus speaks your language as well because he was rejected, he was cast away so that you could be eternally accepted by the one where it matters most. The eternal God in heaven fully accepts you, not based upon your bank account, not based upon the color of your skin, not based upon your accolades, but based upon the love of his son. That's what he does for you. If you're here today and you say, I'm an orphan, I've never known real love. Well, you need to know that Jesus Christ came to rescue orphans and to adopt each of us into his family so that orphan heart of rejection could be healed by the acceptance of the eternal God. This is the story, church. This is the great story. What does it mean to be a student of culture? What does it mean? We, we say here at City Church, we are students of culture. What does that mean? It means that as a follower of Jesus, I dedicate my whole heart to him. And that as I interact with the world around me, at work, my family, my neighbors, I remain available. And then I celebrate common grace, the things that we enjoy together that are grace from God. I celebrate them in their lives and in our lives. I recognize and perceive the idols of our world and of our own hearts. And then I find the gap where Jesus can only fill and I introduce to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you today to get off the bench and to engage. Would you stand up with me today? Come on, stand up with me today. God wants to move on your heart right now. God wants to move on your soul right now. If you're honest before God, have you been in retreat mode? Have you been hiding from a broken world? Staying far from the problems of society because they're just too much for you to handle. Jesus calls you to get your hands dirty. He calls you to remain available to that family member that drives you nuts. He calls you to remain available to those people at work that you avoid. He calls you to celebrate common grace, to recognize the idols and to find the gap. And show them Christ through your love, through your words, through your deeds. Have you been blending in? If you're honest, have you valued all the same things culture values? Have you championed happiness over holiness? Have you sought your own ambitions rather than God's ambitions? If you have, this is your opportunity to turn from that and to become distinct as a follower of Christ. Some will laugh, some will celebrate, but it's your only road to life. Turn to him now. Turn to him now. Here's what I know. 
Some of us need a softer heart towards the culture around us. Some of us need courage to share Christ. Some of us need to let go of some idols. But I can tell you what the answer is. And he's in the room right now. And the spirit of Jesus wants your attention. Would you pray with me? Spirit of Jesus, come. Rule. Reign. Awaken. Soften. Come. Spirit of Jesus Christ, meet us right now. Reorient our hearts toward you. I pray in the mighty name of Christ that your spirit would move among us even now and that the truth and love and worth of Christ would become supreme in our hearts. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit.